Hey friends, good day to you. This is Reiko Zek, the pastor at St. Paul's. You're listening to Jesus in the Center One Year Bible Podcast. Today's day number 21. We're looking at Genesis 42 and 43, Matthew 13 and 14, Psalm 18, Proverbs 4. Thanks for joining me today. We will see how we can grow in faith today. I'm sure you have a lot of questions. I loved uh, hanging out with, uh, I don't know, 25 of my best friends as we chatted about this one-year Bible. So thankful for all of you who listen to the podcast. And anytime, send me your questions. If I don't answer your questions, just let me know. There's a lot of things that I am learning and also things that I don't know. So learning is uh, is good for all of us. Also, many of you are trying to keep all these names straight. What's going on? Israel or Jacob? Is it Abram or Abraham? And also there's just overload. We're reading very fast. So hang in there. Keep reading. It will become more clear as we go, just like any hobby you do, going to the gym or riding a horse or planting a garden. The more you do it, the easier it will be. The more it will make sense and you'll build this framework for yourself. So as you read the Bible, certain pieces will come together and and things will click. The Lord will make it clear to you as you read. Uh, You'll learn it more and more. On the other hand, it's like music. There is no end to how much you can learn. Same with reading the Bible. You're not going to tap out and, and come to the end of it. You're not going to be like, well, I read the Bible. I'm good. I've got it all. Today, we're, we're going to jump in and we're looking at the story. This is the first time that the 10 brothers go down from the land of Canaan from their father and they are getting some food because the famine is severe and their brother Joseph, the man in charge of all of Egypt, recognizes them, tests them. He puts them into custody for three days and then he comes out and, and he says this, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. This is a huge hint. How could this Egyptian say, I fear God? Maybe it just didn't make sense because the way he looks, the way he sounds, there's an interpreter. He must be talking about the God, one of the gods of Egypt, not the one true God that we also believe in. They didn't get it. Anyway, he says, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and bring your youngest brother to me. He wants Benjamin also to come. He wants to also test them. Are these the same lousy brothers that sold me into slavery? Would they do something similar to Benjamin? Have they changed? Have they grown? And he has, I don't know, he has his reasons for doing it. Can't figure it all out, but he binds Simeon before them and then he sends them on their way. Before he does that, he he hears them say, verse 21, in truth, they say to each other, in truth, We are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben also, he wasn't there when they sold him. He says, didn't I tell you guys not to sin against the boy, but you didn't listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. So they're fighting, they're squabbling, they're blaming one another. Simeon is bound and they head back and they notice that one of the brothers has money back in his in his sack and their hearts failed them it says and they turned trembling to one another saying what is this that god has done to us they think that this will be evidence that ruler in egypt will use against them you you really are spies not only that you're thieves you guys are horrible we're going to put you in prison we're going to make you slaves whatever luther says about this the fact that they're whatever's happening to them they're seeing it in man we are guilty Luther says that guilt never rusts. Guilt never rusts. It never goes away. This is 20 years later or more. 
20 years since they sold their brother Joseph into slavery and they've never gotten over it. They never, they are not forgiven. It's still haunting their consciences. There's nothing they can do about it. Not yet, right? So God is not done with them, but they know that they're guilty. And so they think that God is out to punish them. Well, the story goes on. One thing I want to point out, when they get back to their father, Israel, he is, he's bereaved and he says, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And now would you take Benjamin? All this has come against me. And notice here, he's saying, I have no more children. Who is he talking to? His children, his sons. But he has favorite sons. His favorite was Joseph and then now it's Benjamin. And he's basically saying, I have no more. You can't take him. That's the only one I've got left. Oh. So I want to point out how Reuben... There's a transition in the last part here of Genesis from Reuben, who is the firstborn. Remember, uh, he's already lost favor with his father by sleeping with his one of his father's concubines. That's a whole crazy stuff in itself. But here, Reuben, the leadership of the clan will shift from Reuben all the way down to the fourthborn, which is Judah. You would think it'd go to, to Joseph, but it really goes to Judah. And we'll see why that's important, because... A ruler, the ruler, will come from the line of Judah. Again, not from the oldest, not from the firstborn or second or third, but from the fourthborn. Here, the firstborn, Reuben says to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. Saying, come on, dad, if I don't bring Benjamin back to you after going down to Egypt and getting some more grain, then you can kill my two sons. Well, what is, what is Jacob going to do here? He's going to reject this, and he does. It's an easy offer to refuse. Not only do I not want you to take my son Benjamin and let him die, I don't want to kill your sons. Come on. So this offer is rejected. Jacob says he's going to just die in sorrow. Well, the, the famine continues, and they have no choice, but they need to go back to Egypt to get some more grain. Jacob says, go ahead and go. And they're like, well, we can't go. The guy said, do not come again unless you bring your youngest with me. Here we see where Reuben, his offer failed. Judah's offer is accepted, maybe out of desperation, but also the Lord's will. Take a look. Judah says this in chapter 43, verse 8. Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. So here Judah is, is saying, I myself will bear the blame. I will be a pledge. Uh, trust me, I will bring him back. So he says, give me a chance. Now remember Judah in chapter 38, he had this horrible fall. It describes the contrast between Joseph in the one chapter and then Judah in the next, and where Joseph is chaste and pious and faithful, Judah is unfaithful. He is impious. He sleeps with a prostitute who turns out to be his daughter-in-law. It's a horrible thing, yet he repents, and he knows that he's guilty, and he says to Tamar that she is more righteous than me. And so, Starting there, even though it's a horrible chapter, he it seems like he is repenting. He also did not want to let his brother die, brother Joseph. So he's coming around, and so he promises to be a pledge uh, to his father to bring back Benjamin. All right, well, they go down, and they bring a, a sacrifice of some presents. This is a, a very large offering because they're out of food. Right? They bring all the, the fruits of the land, and 
Jacob says, May God Almighty, El Shaddai, grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, I'm bereaved. If I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. We see him praying. He uses the name of God as God Almighty. We need God's power. And also he just, he turns his life over to the Lord. If I'm bereaved, I am bereaved. Whatever the Lord's will is, all we can hope in is God Almighty. Well, they get down there and they try to make things better. And they are they are put up for lunch. The servant had knows something of God. He says, uh, no, 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 don't worry. You can't, don't give us your money back. Peace to you. Don't be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. And so this man has either come to believe in the God of their father, or he knows Joseph. Joseph has been talking about his God. And then Simeon is brought out to them. Uh, they do bow down before Joseph as he dreamed. And Joseph has to run out because he has tears, because he sees his younger brother Benjamin alive and well. And then uh, just a few interesting things. They are seated in order from oldest to youngest. And how would the Egyptians know this? So they are amazed. And then Joseph tests them. He tests their, how are they going to handle favoritism? How are they going to uh, handle their youngest? Are they going to treat him like a baby and despise him, kind of like they did to Joseph? So he ends up with giving uh, five times as much food to Benjamin. And they seem to pass the test. And it says they drank and were merry with him. I think this is that's a nice way to translate this. They had a good time. They're, they're partying. Uh, the story goes on. The saga continues. And we will continue to read how God will use the evil that they intended for good. All right. So let's flip over to Matthew. Matthew 13. Jesus has this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And it talks about the good fish and the bad fish. And Jesus is again answering the question, um, why are there unchristian Christians, Christians who aren't really Christians, people who act like they're in the net, it, it turns out that they're not. And so this is continuing the questions that we asked yesterday. So Jesus says, in the end, God will work it out. We don't need to worry about it. And then he says, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. <laughs> I don't know. Did they really? Probably not. But he does say, every scribe, who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. I think that's a good good way for us to interpret scripture. He also said earlier that new wine is put into new wineskins. Like this whole thing that Jesus is bringing is new, but it's not entirely new. It's still wine, right? It's still wineskins. So we take what is of old, we could say the Old Testament, that all points to Jesus and we bring it in with the new. So also, we see Jesus rejected at his hometown. And then I want to focus on the death of John the Baptist here. I just want to think about, about Herod. You have the story how he commits this heinous act of killing the prophet. Not only killing him, but beheading him and then displaying him on a platter before all his guests. Wow, he's just, he is sunk so low. So think about the forces against Herod. This is just something I came up with today as I was reading this. First is spiritual confusion. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He thinks Jesus, maybe it's John the Baptist back from the dead. There is this spiritual powers at work at John the Baptist. Maybe it's the same power at work with, with this guy, Jesus. He doesn't know who Jesus is. And 
Jesus must be saying the same kind of things that John the Baptist did, right? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Those words came out of the mouth of John the Baptist, and they're also coming out of the mouth of Jesus. And so that same guilt that Herod felt when he listened to John the Baptist, he also feels when he hears about what Jesus says. So first thing against Herod is that he, he's spiritually confused. Another is that his conscience is seared. His conscience is is not working correctly. How do we know? Well, lots of reasons. One is he married his brother's wife. Dude, come on. Uh, so he took his, his brother Philip's wife, uh, Herodias. Another thing is he tried to get rid of John the Baptist. He It says he wanted to put him to death. Now, it says other places that he liked to listen to John the Baptist, but it's his wife who wanted to get rid of him. You know, We'll talk more about that in a second. But he doesn't do it. He is excusing his sin, or he wants to deny his sin, get rid of John, who's accusing me of sin. Right? Another thing is, he has fear. It says that he doesn't do this thing he wants to do because he's afraid of the people. Uh, another thing I thought about is that he's immersed himself in bad company. He's trying to impress this whole party of people. They're having a raucous time, and it's not a place of joy and, and goodness. Uh, it's not. Another thing against him is that he allows himself to be inebriated, to get drunk, to not be in his right mind. And there is poor judgment. There is a promise that he makes that he feels like he can't go back on. And then there's immorality. No doubt the dancing of his daughter, uh, his, his wife's daughter, uh, Salome, is probably not a waltz. It's probably uh, some illicit dancing. There's also a false sorrow that he has. After he goes through the act, and allows John the Baptist to be killed. He says he felt sorry, or as he's going through with it, he's sorry, but he's not really sorry. If he was had godly sorrow, which we all need, he wouldn't have gone through with the deed. He would have stood up to his wife and said, yeah, I said up to half my kingdom, but this man is not in my kingdom. You can't have him. He has a false sorrow. It's only for himself, perhaps. And then lastly, I don't know how to say this, but he's whipped. He's he does what his wife wants, even when it's not right. So he obeys the voice of his wife and gives in and lets John the Baptist be killed. Those are the things against Herod. Do you think those things are only against Herod? No, I think those things can come up against us as well. So Herod is a bad example to not learn from, to learn how not to be. Well, we end it with this verse from the Psalm, Psalm 18, verse 31. For who is God besides Yahweh? And who is the rock except our God? So my dear friends, I encourage you to not lose heart. Keep reading, keep growing, keep asking God for faith and faith in our Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus who has come to catch us. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. Has he caught you? I think he has. He catches you by his mercy. He doesn't catch you to catch you in your sins, but he catches you to gather you to himself. How can you be a good fish by believing that Jesus is your Lord, that he has covered all your sins, all the guilt that won't rust away? He's come to take it away. He's come to explode it, to forgive it, to cover it. So that's good news for us today. Go in peace, serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.